This is CliffCentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. Things that we could share indeed. Welcome back to The Bounce Show. Took a bit of a break last week and I had a great interview with uh, Dominic Hendricks, which I hope you enjoyed. But yeah, back. I was away last week, so if you do follow me on Twitter and I wasn't giving you too much information, I do apologize. But uh, every now and again, I need a bit of a break from the sports, a bit of a, a, bit of a refresh, and it was very cool. But I am back, and there is so much to get through today. So thank you for joining me. We have uh, just the one guest. Uh, Juan from the Left Backs is joining me about the rugby. Of course, the rugby championship started, otherwise known as basically the All Blacks winning another tournament. So we'll get into that. Olympics, that all finished yesterday. It finished with uh, the Japanese Prime Minister, I think it was, dressed like a Mario brother. So, uh, yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? And um, it was really cool. The, the Olympics, I think, was better than anyone expected. The time zone, obviously, for South Africans wasn't amazing. But so many great things happened, right? I mean, the show is going to be mostly Olympic-orientated, as you would expect. And uh, so it can be quite proud of the medals. But definitely look towards t- t- Tokyo sorry, Tokyo 2020 as being something that we can actually be really excited about, as I think South Africans and sport lovers alike. The Olympics is so great. Let's forget about all the crap about uh, crime, corruption, uh, pollution, whatever made like Brazil a little bit dodgy going into it. That games was an absolute success. But speaking of successes, I think we should start with well, there's only one thing we can really start with right now, is it? And it is Casa Semenya winning gold over the weekend. Now they've got Asa Masova between them, and when Bowie gets to the outside, so Semenya is going to have to peel off the back of Nian Saba shortly. She does that now. She's normally got a devastating kick when she goes, and goes she does. And she goes from two metres behind to two metres in front of the top of the lane. Semenya running for gold now in front of Nian Saba and Bishop and Wambui, but she's left the others in her wake, and Casta Semenya is going to do what most people thought she would do in the 800, and she runs away and wins it brilliantly. In second placing Nian Saba, the bronze goes to Wambui in front of Bishop, then Josvik, Sharp, Grace and Arza Masova finished at the tail of the field. She has destroyed them in the last 200 metres and that was the way that a lot of people thought she would become the Olympic champion. The Olympic champion is the first uh, South African woman to win in traffic, track and field, I think, since the 60s or uh, who knows. It wasn't really in our lifetime, so there's no point really getting into it. But Costa made a concerted effort to make the 800 metres her big priority for the Olympic Games. So I think everything has been said and done about her. I think the only thing you can focus on about Costa Semenya right now is about athletics, the amazing feat that she just achieved right now, and that she's the Olympic champion and uh, the fastest in the world right now, 800 metres. So she was going to kind of go 400 metres. Um, she is the SA record holder for the 400 metres, but then she just decided, look, 800 is my specialty. I've been working for this for years now. She, of course, had the silver medal in the London Olympics, and, um, yeah, she was our golden girl of the weekend. And it was kind of cool that if you ever need an example of why sport is so much better than pretty much anything in this world, whether it be politics, business, um, 
I don't know, wealth, uh, whatever makes people really interested, uh, celebrity, entertainment, whatever. Sport is just such a great unifier. It's such, it gets people to be proud about something. It gets people to be excited about something on a very sort of genuine level. And whether it was Costa, whether it was Wade for Nikoke, whether it was any of our medal winners or any of our participants, I think South Africa has a lot of, like, so much to be excited about sports-wise again, all because of this. And, you know, listening to the show, you know full well how <laughs> frustrated or upset I get about the rugby, the cricket or the football. Uh, even the golf nowadays doesn't seem to produce the talent or the sort of success it used to. So it's nice to be able to cheer for someone. Um, you know, we felt it as well when Wade Fenikok won his race. Now that was also a major moment in the Olympics. It really, really was. I think, again, he was the favorite because he was the world champion, okay? But still, what do we never, must never ever underestimate is when these people go into such competitions, right? Whether it be Costa, whether it be Wade, whether it be Usain Bolt, as big a favorites as they are, they have so much to lose. And to get it all right in the night is just absolutely unbelievable. Let's relive that last final stretch of Wade for Nikoke, which is something that still brings goosebumps to me, knowing that the 400 meters, ugh, taking nothing away from the 800 meters because they're both actually very difficult events. The 400 meters is you are on the, on the edge of feeling like your body's going to explode. The power and the pace that you need for, around the track. It's just amazing. Like oxygen becomes such a scarce thing because you can't pull enough in and the lactic acid, everything builds up and there's Wade, lane eight, flying. South African now beginning to tire. Or is he? He's pulling away. It's an unbelievable victory by a huge margin. A century of history and 43-03. I can't believe it. He has obliterated Michael Johnson's world record. Okay, two things there. Firstly, I think that the line of the Olympics might be, uh, <laughs> wait, I'll get it up here. The line of the Olympics in live commentary could be this. The South African now beginning to tire, or is he? And then he absolutely just flies away. So they put his win at about five or six body lengths. But the fact is that Michael Johnson, right? That's the other thing about this race. Now, if you were to just go back a few years, um, again, like the Olympics comes every four years, right? So we often forget about athletes a lot of the time because we have, you know, a vested interest in football teams or rugby or cricket or wherever it may be. But Michael Johnson was something special, okay? He had this very strange upright running style. So spend some time today to actually work out just how incredible weight for Nikuk is that he has dethroned Michael Johnson. His record stood from 1999 until today, right? Now, he wasn't someone who was embroiled in drug scandals. This is no Ben Johnson who had a good race here or there. This dude was incredible. But like, he was an absolute machine. He had this running style, which was just all power. It was like chest out. And um, he was like unstoppable late, mid, mid to late 90s in the 200 and the 400. Usain Bolt uh, obviously overtook him in the 200. And now Wade Fenikuk has overtaken him in the 400. It's just like if you're going to beat a world record, this isn't something that, that you know chops and changes. You see a lot of swimming records chop and change a lot like this, but these athletic ones, you see some real absolute icons who have been like you know holding the holding the fort with with all the glory here. So those are just two of our athletes right now. Sorry if I say oh, and if you're not South African, I do apologize. But I'm actually like this is one of the few times I'm really proud about South African sport this year. So bear with me if I do sound either nostalgic or patriotic or whatever it may be so south africa had a goal uh they had 10 medals in mind for the rio olympics so there were some obviously who were thinking about gold others were just looking to medal so that's all that counted we got to our golds uh cosmos menu away cook those were our two biggest um two biggest goals for south africa and that was got 
Chad LeClaw, unfortunately, his golden aspirations did not come off. He was such an amazing, like such a sensational um, sort of breakout talent in the 2012 London Olympics. And then we all know in that 200 meters uh, butterfly, well, he came unstuck. He was trying so hard to beat Michael Phelps, whether it was the shadow boxing uh, before the semis or whatever it was. Like, what, there's so many great pictures from the Olympics that redefines it. One of them was Usain Bolt in the semis, 100 meters. Literally, there's him and like the roadrunner. He's looking back and he's smiling at the rest. And the other one is in full flow. Michael Phelps looking straight ahead and uh, Chad Leclerc looking left. And he just knew right then, I'm beaten. Phelps is the greatest. And he really is. Okay, so 23 gold medals Phelps ended with. Leclerc didn't even end up meddling in the butterfly 200 meters, which is a big shock to him. I think he just really thought that he focused everything on Phelps. He's going to do it. And he ended up finishing fourth. He did get some sort of, um, I wouldn't say revenge, some sort of redeeming qualities back in the 100-meter butterfly because he finished second and didn't lose to Phelps. Phelps tied with him in that second position. But then so did the Hungarian swimmer, Laszlo Tsiak. I've messed it up. It's it's a funny sign name, C-S-E-H. I, I've been away for a while. It's Monday. I'm going to battle with that. Hungarian guy. Hungarian dude, also medal favorite. So the three of them tied. Uh, for the silver and the 100 meter butterfly, which is really cool for them. So two medals for Chad Leclerc. Uh, Joseph Schooling was the youngster from Singapore who actually won that race, but he was the best through the heat. So fair enough. So two medals there for Chad Leclerc. And when you look at it, you think like, where he is in his career? This was a massive, massive uh, Olympics for him. Sure, he's still got another one in him. He's not exactly old. Uh, he'll still be in his 20s, I think. Um, yeah, late, late 20s when he gets to Tokyo in 2020. But, you know, you always want to pitch yourself against the best. And the fact is that Chad came out wanting in this one against Phelps, who decided, like, the funny thing about uh, Phelps' greatness in this Olympics, because every Olympics he's, like, defined it with the fact he's won multiple medals, is that he retired in 2012. He thought, okay, that's it, I'm done. I'm the most decorated Olympian. I've done everything I ever could have thought about achieving. And then he went out uh, from the Olympics, smoked a bit of dope, I'm sure, and then thought, well, hang on a second. These guys aren't swimming great times. I can probably come back and I could probably still win, which shows the mark of, a, of an athlete. And uh, he did. He thought the times were, were beatable and he beat them. Cameron Finneberg, uh, he didn't defend his 100-meter breaststroke title from London, unfortunately. But he came up against Adam Peaty, who was just on another level, that dude. He broke the, the world record for the breaststroke 100 meters in the semifinal. He then rebroke his own record in the final. He was on another level altogether. And absolutely no shame in Cameron Finneberg only getting a silver there. I say only because the guy is such a tremendous talent and he is one of our true, true great sportsmen because he's a full package. I think, you know, he's a guy who, who trains hard. He's got a good head in his shoulders. He's got an amazing athletic ability. But Cameron was also not done, you know, there's no, there's no way, there's no, it's not saying he's not going to be at the next Olympics and he'll have so much more to give as well because you don't just fall off the fall off the radar when you hit your late twenties in sport. There's various ways of training smarter and harder, and you will be there. Um, other medal winners were Sean Keeling and Lawrence Britton. They won a silver in the Cox's pairs. I don't know a great deal about rowing. All I know is that we got some very dedicated rowers. And when you think about Sascock funding and um, basically getting support to get our guys in to be the best, I think our rowers, these two, Sean Keeling and Lawrence Britton, if you were to put them up against other people who were rowing just in this race, let alone rowers in general, I think they were the least funded, uh, definitely the least supported, but personal sacrifice. And again, just highlighting this whole Olympic movement and how great these guys are. So good for them. That was the other silvers. 
Uh, last silver, sorry, two more silvers to go. Uh, one of them came in the unlikely figure of Luvo Manyonga. Now, we might not know him as a household name in sports, and it's another great thing about the Olympics, that uncovers some amazing talents that really do deserve our attention. So Luvo hasn't had the, like, the sort of easiest path as far as getting to be an Olympic medalist. Um, he was banned for 18 months for methamphetamine being in his blood system. And that came from a history of, oh, I wouldn't say history, I wouldn't say guys prolific or it. But, um, Tuck was part of his life at some stage. Uh, he grew up in the Cape Flats, uh, sort of more towards Stellenbosch. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big problem in communities in that area. There's no doubt about that here in South Africa. And, uh, he was identified by Saskok as being someone who could be an absolute world champion in the long jump. Now, when you think of, you know, long jump, you've got to be able to sprint pretty fast. You've got to be quite, um, well, explosive power to obviously jump that great, that great distance. And it's something that South Africans have had in the past. They've had great long jumpers. So Sasko believed that they will have a, a world champion. And Luval was just such a guy. So, um, yeah, they picked him up. They sort of dusted him off a bit, so to speak. And they just kind of got disciplined into his regime. And there he is. He came out of obscurity, essentially. And now he is a Olympic silver medalist. And he did, he, he was so close to gold. Wow. What an amazing story that would have been. But still silver, an absolute triumph. And this guy is going to be 29 in Tokyo 2020. So happy days there. Lots, lots to look forward to. So now for you in the women's javelin. Um, yes, I do believe every single one of our medalists deserves a, a, a lot of credit this morning as we look back on this. So bear with me while I go through this entire list. But yeah, Sunetta was a, a well, a, a great achiever. Now, um, Dan Nickel does a show on super sports. Uh, he's the kind of rotund Irish guy who, um, sort of slags off sports people, but he's a super, super show host. And he puts together a pretty slick show about, uh, well, sports stars, general lifestyle stuff. And he interviewed Sunet. Um, it was him and, uh, Chris Forrest, I think. The two of them took Snet on in a sort of a, a physical display in the gym doing various things. Now, Snet was an ex-SA cricketer, okay? Now, if you look at pictures of her where she was a cricketer, she was a lot more slight than where she is now because javelin is a hell of a difficult sport. Now, these Eastern European women um, historically have always been pretty good at the, let's just call them throwing events, right? So hammer throw, shot put, javelin, those kind of things. So Sunette has trained so incredibly hard to get to a position where obviously she, it's, a, it's a power event, this, there's no doubt about it. There's obviously a lot of uh, technique that is used in this, but um, she really did build herself up into this event. And after disappointing showing in London 2012, she came back very, very strong here in, uh, in Rio with a throw of 64.92 meters. There's a very long way to throw essentially a spear. So good on you, Sunet. That was a well-deserved silver there. And then Henry Schumann. Now, this is a story that you won't know a hell of a lot about um, because you probably will get overshadowed by most of the South African Olympic uh, winners or medalists. But Henry was man down. But when I say a man down, he had like a fever of all fevers. He was in Brazil. And with all the pre-Olympic um, Zika fears, you don't want to have a fever. You don't have any sickness in Brazil, you know, because, you know, paranoia and that kind of stuff kicks in. He could, he was bedridden. He was absolutely down and out. He was losing weight. He was sweating up a storm. And this dude, um, somehow managed to get back to sort of health, you know, to actually physically function as a human. And not only that, he went and did something he's never done. Even at his absolute best and fittest, he finished in the top three of a world triathlon event, international triathlon event. He got a bronze at the Olympics. Such an incredible story, this. And this dude, you can just imagine like your hopes of going there obviously is to medal, but to get in amongst the top 
sort of 10 in the world. So make a final of any of these events is a really big deal. To be there is a huge deal. So Henry, well done. It's incredible, incredible feat that. And then the Blitz Box, that was the final South African medal. And they got a bronze, a disappointing bronze because, well, I think out of all the Olympic, um, sort of participants, South African, the South African public knew the most about the Blitz Box, exactly what the team was about, their capabilities, all that kind of stuff. So expectations were quite high when you consider the fact that New Zealand aren't the force they used to be. Uh, they didn't even make, um, make into the quarters. Uh, Australia aren't that great. So it was basically, could they beat Fiji and could they get gold? They end up losing to Great Britain, a team that was put together just a couple of months prior when you think of that. And they're not made of anything too strong. I mean, who are Wales in sevens? Who are Scotland in sevens? England, you know, they were once good, but not really anymore. So unfortunate for the Blitzbock, but still, bronze is a good medal. So 10 medals in all. So how many medals can we look forward to in Tokyo 2020? Well, a couple of things come into that. Firstly, will Sascog be able to get a little bit more funding there's no doubt about it. Firstly, let's get some decent tracksuits. This is a big thing. Uh, people got to walk the talk, all that kind of stuff. They got to look good. They got to feel good. So get some decent tracksuits. Now, whether that's because you did a dodgy deal to get whatever that manufacturer was, Sascock, who cares? Just get better tracksuits for the guys. They deserve better. These are the best men and women physical specimens this country has to offer. So do them proud. Secondly, is Sascock be able to gain more sponsorship and utilize money from the lottery better? Will they be able to court the public, sorry, the private sector into getting more money? Because if we can develop these athletes, now all of these people I've just mentioned, right? If we can develop talent like this, because there is so much talent in this country of South Africa, but there is a hundred people like this in each of these categories. I'm not saying there's another way for Nico out there. I think he is a particularly special individual, but there are people who can make it into certain events to think in the finals, you know, wave Nico wasn't in the four by 400 meter final. We need to get three guys that can support him. There's another event that we can win gold in. Um, so if you can also look at the 100 meter finals for the men, four by four, four by 100 meters. They, Japan finished second there. Not, they didn't even have any runners that ran sub 10. Not one, okay? Like South Africa had three, but they weren't even in the final of that. There's got to be a more concerted effort towards really playing to our strengths because there are so many. So, you know, Sascock, we can all bitch and moan about how dodgy they are and the corruption and all these different things. But the Olympics just showed again how sport is a great um, unifier. And also with transformation being the biggest thing in this country, it's not just about the team. It's not just about having more black players in the pro tiers or more black players in uh, the stream box. There are so many different sports that we can get youth in this country involved in whether it's another story like uh we like Luvo, whether there's so many different stories out there but it's going to take funding it's going to take a big concerted effort it's going to take a lot of money but there are outlets this is the whole thing we can plug so many young talented people in this country young boys and girls whatever it may be whatever their preference they can go into so many different outlets and the olympics is a big big character end of that there 2020 in tokyo i I'm hugely excited. I really am. So that's all sort of South African athletes. And I think they did themselves proud. It's really did me proud. But let's get to a couple of other stories from the Olympics itself. Uh, Usain Bolt's the greatest, right? So he's just, uh, when you think about what the guy's done, there's only three events he can physically run in the, in the Olympics, right? The 100 meters, the 200 meters and the four by 100 meters. He's won gold in every single one of the time, every single race that he's, that he's had. So Beijing, London, Rio, he did the triple, triple. There's no way he can do more events. If he had to do the 400, he probably would die. I mean, his hamstrings would be torn. The pressure these guys go under to get to exert those speeds and be at that level, that's the ultimate best. People are always going to say, well, Phelps was the greatest Olympian because he had the most gold medals. But you can't really compare them. Or can you? Well, I tweeted something yesterday. I'm going to retweet it again today. 
It was about actually assessing the dominance of Phelps and Bolt in their respective categories and why Bolt is the greatest Olympian of all time. He really is the greatest athlete of all time. We all know this. To go against Phelps, well, nobody wants to go against Phelps because you lose. So I saw Chad Leclerc. But I reckon Bolt is. He is the ultimate specimen of, of human. If we were to showcase a human to the aliens or anybody in the rest of this galaxy, if we were to showcase that guy, what an incredible achievement. Uh, do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen his races, try to find them wherever you can. His 100-meter win wasn't as emphatic as it has been in, in past Olympics, but still, amazing win there. Uh, his 200-meter win, well, he basically jogged it to gold there. But the 4x100-meter relay win for his team, Jamaica. Watch that. That is so entertaining. Because it's basically all the mortals run and then bolts in the final leg and he just sprints away from every single guy. It was like such a close race until he got the baton. So that was, a, again, a massive, massive um, a success story. And, you know, it's going to be his last Olympics. We'll never see Usain Bolt at the Olympics ever again. We'll never see Phelps at the Olympics again. It'll be interesting to see what sort of void will be created by those two pulling or ending their careers with this. And will we ever see two athletes more dominant? I, I, I don't see it. I really don't. I think it's, I know that I, I can't base this on upon anything because you never know what sport's going to produce, but I can't see it ever, ever being as amazing like that. Also, I can't ever see an Olympian ever being as stupid as Ryan Lochte. Now, we all know the story, right? He claimed to be held up at gunpoint and, and robbed. Well, here's a little interview just to show you what an absolute giant dick and the biggest embarrassment of this Olympics Ryan Lochte is. Here he is being interviewed on um, NBC, an American uh, show, uh, NBC Network, where he's just being asked a couple of <laughs> questions. And like the immaturity and the stupidity of this guy is absolutely sensational. You told me on the phone, Ryan, you said, we are victims here. We are victims, and we're happy that we're safe. In the police press conference, they said, not victims, they're vandals. How do you feel about that? It's how you want to you wanna make it look like. Uh, whether you call it a robbery, whether you call it extortion, or us paying uh, just for the damages. Like, we don't know. All we know is that there was a gun pointed in our direction and we were demanding to give money. Gunner in his statement to police said, at some point someone who spoke English walked over and offered to help translate this altercation. And he made it clear that the security guard was telling the four of you, you need to pay for that stuff, that damage, before you can leave here or I'm going to call the police. You understood that at that yeah. time, didn't you? Yeah, so then we had to give the money. At that point, you're striking a deal. You're striking mm -hmm. a deal to pay for what damage you've caused so that he doesn't call the police and this doesn't become a bigger incident. Isn't that, isn't that fair? Just to kind of jump in here, okay, what happened? So Lochte and his mates went out uh, partying one night, okay? So they went to a restroom to go to the – sorry, went to a, a gas station to go to the toilet, but there wasn't one. So they decided they're just going to go around the back and piss against the wall. So they did that, and then Lochte, now these aren't my words, this is one of the guys with Lochte who's now completely thrown under the bus, said that Ryan grabbed this metal sign from the wall and it damaged it, basically. He just ruined the sign for no reason whatsoever. Okay, now that's what, that's what the guy who was staying next to him taking a piss has now confirmed to the press. And this is Ryan Lochte's, I don't even know what this is, it's just him being a dumbass. We just wanted to get out of there. Um, we were held, I mean, there was a gun pointed in our direction. We were all frightened. 
um, and we wanted to get out of there as quick as possible. And the only way we knew is uh, this guy saying, you have to give him money. So we gave him money and we got out. What I'm trying to get at is the first version of the story you told Ryan was much more about the mean streets of Rio. Yeah. And the version we're <laughs> hearing now is much more about a negotiated settlement mm -hmm. to cover up some dumb behavior. And <laughs> that's why I'm taking full responsibility for it, is because I over-exaggerated that story. And if I'd never did, done that, we wouldn't be in this mess. Those guys would never be in Rio, or were in Rio. Um, nothing of the, none of this would have happened, and it was my immature behavior. Well, good on him to eventually admit to the thing in the end about being so immature, but like it's absolutely like no um, surprise whatsoever. This Ryan Lochte, firstly, uh, sure he's a great swimmer. I think he's at five five goals. But he is terrible at interviews, like really, really terrible. He's a really great swimmer and a real, real terrible at interviews. I mean, the reason why I love swimming is because racing. What defines me? Ryan Lochte. Yeah, kind of, kind of stay under the profile, under the radar. I didn't, I didn't do that bad at World Championships. I bet Lochte you knows how to have some fun. Oh, that's for sure. Seven times four. 21. <laughs> uh, what I was always good at was letting things go through, like, through one ear, out the other, so to say. But, I mean, that's just, whether it's life or there's swimming, um, always do your best. I can't wait until I'm done something that I can go to the market to. This is a genuine compilation of Ride Lochte throughout the last few years. In my workout it's with swimming and weights is like my weight room. I mean, I mean, I'm not a big like sentimental guy. Like, I don't really cry. What is on your cell phone screensaver? Rocks. Rocks. Yeah. Okay. I'll show. I'll show uh, China how to dance. You can tell a great athlete by like not how many times he wins unlike when he loses because that's what is going to make a swimmer fashion designer or a reality show star fashion designer for sure what would people describe now ryan also has his own reality show what would ryan lochte do so if you're looking for some fun today or this week just try to find some youtube clips around that you won't you won't be disappointed slash like Hip -hop. Are you enjoying the uh, the sex symbol status that goes along with um, high-profile Olympic events? Yeah. Are you always this cool? I guess. I mean, I don't really see myself as being cool, but <laughs> thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so he's also lost huge amounts of endorsements after the whole uh, Rio fiasco, which is no big surprise. So that was Ryan Lochte, which was the downside of the Olympics. There were so many other... Plus sides. I think um, sometime this week I'm just going to give you more or over Twitter. If you follow me at Follow the Balance, I'll be able to give you a lot more information. We, I mean, this is a two-hour show in itself, but I haven't got enough time. But one thing I do want to kind of wrap up with, just from the at the end here. So with with the Olympics being in Rio, um, you know, it's, it's a country going through some tough times right now. The next few days they're going to vote about you know to impeach their current president and then the interim president. He wasn't at the closing ceremony last night because. He was so heavily booed in the opening ceremony. So the country's got some troubles. They really do. But the, the weekend finished off with its best possible way for them. Now, remember the FIFA World Cup 2014 
was it semi-final 7-1 to Germany. Well, the final took place, same ground, and they managed to get one over the Germans. They took it to penalties, and Neymar got the chance to win the gold medal for Brazil at the Olympics. Neymar of Barcelona, of Brazil, gives Brazil their first ever World Cup Olympic gold medal. Such delight, sheer joy, and the pain of the 7-1 loss to Germany at the World Cup forgotten. There is Klaus now in Brazilian football once more. The only piece of silverware missing from Brazil's enormous, exceptional, extended trophy cabinet was the Olympic gold medal. They have now secured that, and there is relief and joy and celebration. It's a carnival in the Maracanã. Beautifully wrapped up there by Dwayne Delockett. It was the only thing that they hadn't won. You know, you think from the glory days of Brazilian football, which has tarnished in the last few years, they haven't done particularly well. Uh, they didn't do great. Um, when was the last time they won the World Cup? It was 90, 2002, I think, it was in, in Korea. Uh, so yeah, Dwayne Delockett wrapping that up brilliantly. There is South Africa's Dwayne Delockett, of course. He got to, he was commentator for the match, the final match, and he was also there for the opening ceremony, and he will be there throughout the Paralympics as well. Uh, good for Neymar. Although he says Neymar, or Neymar said he doesn't want to be the captain of Brazil anymore. This is his high point, and now he's going to pull a bit of a messy along just with the captain's armband, though. He's still going to play for Brazil. So, um, that was pretty much the Olympics, eh? I know I've, I've probably missed a few things here, and if you want to discuss it, uh, feel free to tweet me at follow the bounce, or if you are listening right now on the Cliff Central official page on WeChat, you can message me there, like Tyrell just has now, saying Ryan Lochte is a problem to society. Damn right. Uh, won't have to any time for calls today, unfortunately, but, uh, always feel free to tweet me at follow the bounce. So Kenya's, um, Elliot Kipchoker, Kipchoge, he won the marathon, which was obviously one of the big events. That's how one of the original events in the Olympics. And it's so cool when you win gold here because your medal ceremony takes place in the closing ceremony. Really, really big honor there for another great Kenyan athlete. So all in all, it was a great, great Olympics. Um, and final point I want to make here is how well Great Britain did. Now, no country in the history of the Olympics ever won more medals than they did when they hosted it. So, for instance, whoever hosted it, the next Olympics, they're always a massive drop-off because when you're hosting the things, people generally do better and more emphasis put into the athletes. But Great Britain, I mean, it's just staggering what they've achieved here. And again, they use funding very well. Of course, they have a lot of money. They worked out that per goal, they spend about £4 million. I mean, it's just crazy what they've got resource-wise. Overall, America, well, they always win. It's not even a thing. 121 medals with 46 goals. Great Britain got 67 medals, okay? Their target was 48. They got 67 medals, 27 of which were gold. They beat China. China, like, it's just crazy what happens here. Now, Russia are obviously never going to make the top three because of their whole drug scandals and banning. But for Great Britain to come and finish second on this thing here, that is a massive achievement. Whether you like them or not, that's not really important. But that is incredible how they managed to beat China. So they've got something to be really, really proud about. And uh, good on them. I think they're doing a lot of the good things in sports. Uh, is that Mud Island right now? If you look at the English rugby team. But that is quite something, yeah. Great Britain are second. Now, just to get the final, 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 final thing, Olympics, before we go on to Sean with the rugby, is, um, yeah, so 121 medals for, uh, for United States, okay, so there's total medals here. China with 70, Great Britain with 67, Russian Federation 56, Germany with 42, France with 42, Japan 41, 
Australia 29, Italy 28, and Canada 22. That makes up your top 10. South Africa had the 28th most medals. They had 10 medals there, so they tie with uh, Croatia and Czech Republic. But if you were to break this down, okay, so medals per capita, total medals per capita, best country in the world, Grenada. They had one medal with a population of 106,825. So per person, they get the most medals. Gold medals per capita, Bahamas. For every 380,000 people, they get a gold medal because that's the population. They got one gold medal. So there's some interesting breakdowns, but it's just a great um, showpiece for sport. It really is. All the countries involved, it was amazing. That's all I can really talk about that. I'm still talking in circles. Sorry, I'm still quite tired and jet lag, so I apologize if I'm, I'm slightly slurry today. But that is the Olympics. Go on to the Bounce of the today uh, and follow me on Twitter for more. I'll bring you more stuff as the stuff happens this week as far as just recapping and celebrating all the really great events. But so we look at now is the rugby. Now, the rugby championship is a big deal because New Zealand play. And then traditionally, the two other best teams in the world after them, Australia and South Africa, play. Now, that was the Tri-Nations. But then Argentina were thrown into the mix. And there you had the four teams from Southern, Southern Hemisphere, or as known in the World Cup, semi-finalists. England have obviously shaken up quite a lot. So Wales aren't too far behind. But basically, world rugby right now is one big group of people trying to beat the All Blacks because they are that good. All Blacks just kind of confirmed this at every given stage. They beat Australia 42 points to 8 in Australia. And then the South Africans, well, they managed to get um, a win, 30-23. And uh, just before I get my guest, you want to intro on that or talk about that? As always, we intro him with Nick Mallett and his thoughts on this match. So yes, I know you are disappointed with the margin, but I want to ask you, were they better today than they were against Ireland? Well, it's, uh, it's obviously the last 20 minutes colors what you, what you think about this game. Up until 70 minutes, it was very disappointing. But uh, I just want to say that had the box taken their opportunities, as we said at halftime, uh, if they'd knocked over a couple of penalties, and particularly Mapu's try was very important. I think then we might have built a, that 10-point uh, buffer that uh, would have uh, sort of given us a bit more confidence going into those last 20 minutes. I just thought the, that Faf uh, de Klerk was absolutely outstanding. I yeah. also thought Peter Steph de Troy coming on the field made a big difference. You know, just his tap tackle on Hernandez got us that penalty to get back to 23 all. Faf's lateral run and late switch with Horson was wonderfully done. He also earned that scrum by just ferociously getting in on their scrum off and knocking and forcing him to knock the ball on. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, urgency that he brought to the team and as did, as did Jaco Krill when he came on and, yeah. and uh, Peter Steff. So the, the, the replacements uh, did very well. <clears throat> I think that, um, that uh, no one's going to be more relieved than the box this, this evening. I think that they felt that the game was slipping away and uh, just a really good finish to the game, a great try on the blind side there. Nice handling and and uh, so nice to see Warren Whiteley score in the corner but a couple of embarrassing situations yeah. I mean the one header put the kick straight into Strauss's head by Yankees I mean that was wasn't a <laughs> do you think he was angry at him and or what something about, uh, trying to kick it out at the end of the game he had to catch his own up and under and would have been a draw I know so it was uh, so it was really uh, a tragedy or comedy of errors I suppose you would call it but we are all very happy with the spring yeah, we're all kind of very happy now. I didn't get to watch the game, but Joan, you watched it and you have some thoughts, no doubt. Was it um, was it an improvement from the from the Irish series? Hey Ben, 
Um, I'm not really sure that it was, to be honest with you. I think that um, we labored to that victory. Similar opposition, we should have beat comfortably. We really labored. We left it late. So, yeah, maybe slight improvement, maybe a little bit more flair, but generally not a massive improvement, no. Okay, well, the big point I want to talk to you about today is something that has come out, is that this team is perhaps a team transitioning from one game plan to another. It sounds like a nice kind of thing to say when you consider the fact that prior to this, we all know it's been crash and bash and pretty one-dimensional Springbok rugby, and now we're looking to kind of spread it a bit and create gaps and opportunities to attack. Is this a team that are showing signs going towards a good thing, or are they just too stuttery to really work out the direction they're going in? I think in theory, what is happening is, is a transition between, between the old game plan and the new game plan. I think that is certainly a possible explanation. But, you know, what concerns me about the Springboks is, and like I've told you before, you know, being a diehard Stormers fan, I've watched the Stormers very closely with a kind of eye on their strategy over the last couple of years. And I remember watching one game where the, where I think it was Corvus van Veek, he, like, I can't even remember what happened, but it was just like such an amateurish mistake. And and watching the Springboks on Saturday, you know, Alton kicking it against against Arjun Strauss, just like Mallet mentioned, and then yeah. Warren Whiteley's early mistake at right at the end. It's just like these these amateurish issues. And and for me, that is an indication of players not really quite understanding what the game plan is and not really playing towards a single-minded goal. So yeah, I mean, coming back to the point, you know, it is certainly. An argument for transition, but I'm not 100% convinced. Yeah, well, you know, there's many things to look at, and um, I was actually quite keen to talk about the Australians today uh, and why they maybe are a bit cucker. Because I'm just trying to pass the buck here. Because <laughs> I, I feel like yeah. I feel like we're not really moving much because people could say we're going through a transition and all that kind of stuff, and it's always nice to say. It, and yes, this team does need time, and the players need time. Obviously, Kusia needs time, but five. De Klerk passed the ball 44 times of the weekend. Elton Janchi passed the ball 10 times. So that doesn't seem to me like a very good stat. Maybe there's something not quite going on there. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, just it, a comment on that. Just if I may comment on that. I think that Fluff De Klerk, his, his um, involvement in us winning the last couple of games has been totally understated. I think that if he quite simply wasn't on the field, we probably would have lost the last two games we played. He's just he's just got this energy to him that is very very um, conducive to to us winning games at death. He just never really stops. He's like a terrier, and that's really fantastic to see. But I think just on Janchi's, I think he's such a confidence player. And I mean, to try and kick the ball out of your red zone and kick it against your captain's face, I think that must really really <laughs> dent the confidence. And I think I think that that probably explains why he was probably a little bit off his game. Yeah, you can watch the clips many times. It's terrible in both instances. So yeah, just on that five to cloak point, do you not think that maybe he is allowed to shine because he's thinking, well, fuck it, the team doesn't know what they're doing. I'm just going to play my heart out because it almost seems like back in the day when US Fund Investation was so good, I think it was a lot of the times because the team needed him to be because there wasn't much else going on. Fuff in defense, no matter what he's doing, sure he's making a couple of unforced areas there, but that's because he's playing so much. But I almost get the impression that he is just thinking like, well, shit, you know, I've got to try my hardest. How is it that he, I don't know, it's, it's like, how can we match him or how can everyone just step up to that? Because it's this terriness that we just aren't seeing for a lot of times. And we saw it at Ellis Park and now we're seeing this match. We've had to come from behind in games that we should be winning comfortably. Like, it's it's Certainly frustrating. That, yeah, and, and you know what I think the key distinction is, is I think Fuss 
has been told to play the game as he sees it. He just plays an actual game. And a player like Alton is trying to play Alistair's game. And I think that that's probably the reason why why Faf is being superb because he's, he's literally just doing what he always does, where Alton is like doing what Alistair wants him to do, which is, you know, for a guy like Alton, that's not the way to play him. No, that just seems like a, an overwhelmingly horrible disconnect there. But otherwise, exactly. for, like forward pack though, um, scrum wise, you know, obviously re- losing Redling Hayes relatively early was a big setback. But Cox seems to be in good yeah. form. Um, you yeah. know, we, we've got great depth. The locks are looking good. Much was said about Opa Mahojo's position in this team, and I, I know what, again, like Twitter's a horrible benchmark for things, but. Yeah. I, I think this guy got a bit of a raw deal in that, you know, he was identified a couple of years ago as being a decent player and he kind of showed it hectically on Saturday for just being the grit and the strength that we need in loose forwards. Yeah, do you, do you think he had a really good game? Yeah, totally. He was all over the place. He was, he was, like you said, you know, displaying a lot of grit, a lot of strength in the collision. And I think that that Springbok loose forward game, because I mean, if you, if you think about our current dynamic in the loose forwards, We've lost Dwayne, who's obviously like the big bruiser in, in the loose. Yeah. I had Oaks like William Albert. You know, I don't know where he is. So, Opa really had to become that guy because Wykley's not that kind of player. You know, Flo plays to the ball. So, we really, really needed that. And that's probably the reason why Notchie didn't start. Because Alistair obviously told Opa, you need to go out there and you need to like smash Oaks back. Because that's yeah. really what we need in the loose. And I think he did that well. Yeah, well, it is. And I just think that, like, when we look at the, the games against Ireland, look at this game, we haven't got too many additional talking points here, other than the fact that we are, we are simply hoping for things to gel and execution to get better. So I will leave you with, with, with just two questions. Brian Abana, do we need his experience in that team, or should we be just be going full frontal on this whole transition thing and getting a younger talent in there? Yeah, that's something that I, I was thinking about. You know, I, I do believe that a test squad requires experience. I think, you know, tournaments at least are won on experience. But Brian, you I don't know, he, he he's like a prolific try scorer, but is he past his prime? I, I think he might be, unfortunately. I think we've got some good uh, young wings in the country, guys like Sinatra. When are we going to get them in? I, I think it is probably time that Havana maybe grooms from the bench. I don't know. I think that, um, yeah, I think he, he's a little long in the tooth, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, I've got two very interesting messages here on screen from Mandla, my boy, who is one of my favorite people here at Cliff Central. This guy's very intelligent. Mandla, I won't get your messages just now. I'm just going to finish off with Joanne one more question, but I'll get back to your point because he is someone who's saying Sinatra should be in this team. My next question would be, seeing as you agreed with my first point about Habana, is that is there space for Mornay Stain now to be used? And I, 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 look, I, I caution to say this, but is he, is he not more the guy to be used under the auspices of experience amongst youth? Yeah, that's a, a good point and something to think about. I, I was a big Morning State fan and in prime in like 2009, he was, he was top draw. Um, I think, you know, the, the Springbok game plan hasn't deviated much from a game plan which suits Morning State, you know, accurate at goals, um, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, maybe there is more of a place for, if we're going to pick an older dude, maybe he's the older dude we should pick rather than let a banner, you know, kind of right off into the sunset. Yeah, it's a good point because when it comes to test match rugby, every game plan is is, is basically built on basics. I mean, it's as simple yeah. as that. We'd have to be we have to make this any more complicated than it already is. You've got to get your basics right and a, a number ten pivot who can kick his goals and all that kind of stuff. And it's no, it's, yeah, not, it's not like he can't distribute the ball either. I mean, yeah, exactly. He's competent, and, and that's one thing about Janchi that that makes me sad is is that 
Chanchis, when he when he pulls on the red and white for the Lions, he is a superstar. Like he doesn't miss at goals. Okay, I know this year he was only like training at like seventy yards to ten, but the way he attacks the line, he's so flat. It's really really great to watch. But yeah. when he plays for the Springboks, he's just he's different, and I understand that it's different games, and and you kind of need a little bit more you know structure to win an international game and all that kind of thing. But but that really makes me sad that that he's not able to play his natural game. And I think that he's worse off for it. Yeah, it is. It's just a natural game. And he's obviously, I wouldn't say he's being stifled by the game plan. I think he's just being stifled by the occasion. Um, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you get these opportunities and you run with it, and sometimes you maybe stagnate a bit. So it's still yeah. many, many question marks going ahead. But ultimately, it doesn't really make a difference because the rugby championship will be won by New Zealand. I mean, it's... <laughs> You know, I, I tweeted something yesterday about the fact if you if you were to put a hundred thousand rand down right now on the All Blacks, you would make fifteen grand. And sure, you're gonna you're gonna risk your hundred grand, but there's no way these guys are gonna lose. Their, 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 yeah, their, I, their I, toughest game might be probably already done being in Australia because yeah. when they come to Durban, they're gonna piss it. They love playing in Durban. Um, they've yeah. got a great record in Argentina, and when they're at home, they're unbeatable. Yeah, so for sure. I'll, I'll leave you there with those sobering words. But, Sean, thank you so much. To get more of Sean, go on to leftbacks. Left, yeah, leftbacks.coz and at leftbacks on Twitter. Also, they're on Instagram, just at leftbacks. Uh, yeah. yeah, always good information. Yeah. And, Sean, as always, I really, really appreciate your rugby insights. And uh, hopefully we'll more exciting things to talk about in the future. Uh, I think I said it to yeah. you last time. We still haven't got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks, man. Chat cool. soon. Yeah, so it was a it was a last ditch effort really, and um, Warren Whiteley scored a try in the end. It's a bit sad, but it was a good win. Now, I say it's a good win because not because I'm running out of things to say. It's that Argentina are not crap. We must get out of this out of this mindset that they're a lesser nation, and that um, you know we should be walking these guys twenty thirty points. They're a very different team to the Jaguars outfit in Super Rugby. And um, as um, yeah, look, you can read read this all you want. Is that get the win? Let's let's look past this. It's all about progress with this team right now, and we've got to be um, spot on with our expectations. There's just that wondering, the worrying element which John just picked up now is that there's amateurish elements here and there. Janchi still isn't clicking as a fluid number ten, and um, well. Look, we're gonna we're gonna come unstuck against New Zealand. No doubt about that. We could beat Argentina twice. We could beat Australia twice, and that's got to be the, the big uh, the big draw card. So, running out of time here. Uh, we're not gonna be able to get into the football, but uh, next week we'll have a big big feature to compensate for that. The PSL is starting this week in South Africa. Uh, there's been two rounds of the English Premier League. Nothing too overwhelming to talk about there. Arsenal haven't really bought anyone. Uh, the fans aren't happy, so same old, same old, really. But just to get to Mandela, my boy has sent in some messages here about what he thinks about uh, rugby. It's uh, two things, and I'll read out both these messages here. Is that he th- he reckons that we need New Zealand coaches to transfer knowledge at all levels of our rugby coaching system. So he backs it up with some stats. New Zealand have 146,893 registered rugby players and 6,000 rugby clubs. Okay, so that is where they're basing the All Blacks brilliance and super brilliance from 1,400 sorry 100 <laughs> bear with me I'm almost done 146,893 registered players okay 600 clubs in South Africa we have 651,146 registered rugby players in 1,562 rugby clubs that means that there are more teenage and pre-teenage rugby players in South Africa than all players in New Zealand combined 
combined. And uh, he goes on, and I completely, completely agree with him. So not only we should we be the number one team in the world, but all the European clubs can still have so many of our players and we'd still have enough talent in the pipeline to justify being the number one team. And Mandela, I mean, like, really, word for word, I cannot agree with you more. So what he reckons the current Bok team should should be, and this is just touching on Juan's point earlier, he reckons Kitsov should start at number one instead of the Beast, and then Malcolm Marks, Vincent Koch, that is your front row. Ibn Etzebeth, Lutiaga, Yaku Creel, he should come in. He reckons Steph, Peter Steph the Toy should be number seven. Um, Warren Whiteley, number eight. Fafter Clerk, number nine. Uh, Pollard, when he gets back from injury, should be number 10. And then he believes Nutler should come in at number 11. And I totally agree. I think his time at sevens is done now. I think we need to look at this guy to be the next Brian Habana, so to speak, as far as your prolific go-to left wing. Ron Janssen for Rensburg needs to be number 12. Devin Allen, number 13. Ron Combrick, number 14. And Jesse Creel, 15. That is Mundler, my boys ultimate best Bok team right now in order to be someone who can actually take on New Zealand. Well, man, there's a couple of factors in there. Um, it's not to state the obvious. Uh, obviously, you know, with transformation, um, what's, what's the word? Transformation objectives and goals, that's not going to work. <laughs> I get in so much trouble when I touch about any of these kind of things, as demonstrated on Twitter yesterday about political interference. But, Manda, your point, and I think this is what we should all take in here, is that we have all the players we need. We have, we have so many great players in this country. We need to start using them better. It really is as simple as that. We need to get into there. So like I said, with the Olympics as well, let's get the funding in. Let's get people who know what they're doing, developing talent in this country, which ties back to a tweet that I sent out yesterday, which got a lot of heat and the wrath of black Twitter, as they call it. I don't want to see Vicky Limbalula in, in the change room of the Springboks. He doesn't need to be that close to the team. He needs to make sure to Mandela's point here, that all those hundreds of thousands of rugby players are going through the right systems, the right structures, they're receiving the right funding. He mustn't be there getting further opportunities because I tell you what, that's a big priority for him. People sometimes think that I'm being cynical, but that's bullshit. If this guy got his ducks in a row, transformation wouldn't be the big problem. It's been failed under his leadership, under his guidance. This guy needs to get his priorities in check and do what he's really there for rather than just being the guy who is a sports fan. His job as sports and recreational, whatever it is, minister, is not to be a fan of sport. It's meant to be a developer of sport, someone who's actually going in the coal face and making it work. That's all I have for this week. I'm going to go home now and sleep and get back to SA time. And hopefully you enjoy this this hour of the bounce show next up next week we'll get um, a whole bunch more about football but if you have missed anything go on to thebounce.co.za you'll be able to catch this show and all the other little clips otherwise go on to clipcentral.com and you'll be able to find the bounce page with all uh, past shows and all the other things otherwise some more daily sports join me on the gareth cliff show right here clipcentral.com monday to friday 6 a.m sa time otherwise just get the podcast on clipcentral.com that's it. I shall catch you next week on here on the Bunch Show. Ciao. This is Cliffcentral.com.